Welcome to My on Mondays, an explorative approach to the possessive my through narratives, art, and sound. Each Monday brings a new creation and unique perspective. My on Mondays is brought to you by Ming Studios, a contemporary art space and international artist residency program dedicated to the exhibition, experience, and exploration of arts and culture. Along with exhibiting artists from around the world, Ming also serves the community by hosting innovative programs including performances, workshops, screenings, readings, artist talks, and other cultural activities. For more information or if you'd like to participate in My on Mondays, you can visit our website at mingstudios.org. Hello and welcome to the 11th episode of My on Mondays. Today's featured piece is by Boise playwright, writer, and theater maker Heidi Cray. Heidi examines the connection between brain and body, seeking empathy with fractured characters. Her work, which has been published and performed both locally and internationally, pulls myth, metaphor, and monsters together to attempt connections across difference. She holds a B.A. in Theatre Arts with an emphasis in Dramatic Writing and Design from Boise State University and an M.F.A. in Creative Inquiry Interdisciplinary Studies from California Institute of Integral Studies. She's an adjunct professor through the Department of Theatre, Film, and Creative Writing at Boise State University and a teaching artist through the Cabin Literary Center. Her piece today is titled My Dirty Fingernails. In the passenger seat of the Chevy One Ton, with four street kids and a chocolate pit bull puppy in the back, I thought I was in love with the driver. This was late April. I just opened and closed a show I wrote and directed that was the best thing I'd created to date, presented to a sold-out crowd in Boise. I was leaving all that, my friends, my work, everything I knew, closing ears against my family's pleas to stay. I was going to build a life with a black-haired, wild man. On the Idaho roads, I wrote in my notebook, considering myself the recorder of our grand mission. Called by God or some higher reason, no one outside that white van understood. I wanted to believe we were traveling for something good. All I knew was that we were looking for gems, with the four kids sitting in the back on the floor called sparklies. Our driver, a self-proclaimed expert on everything his interest touched, could spot minerals that would make us rich from his seat behind the wheel as the van jogged up mountain highways. He once owned a rock shop in Colorado, he said. He used to go hunting daily for the brightest minerals to sell, quartz, aquamarine, diamond, Though our trip north to Idaho City was a bust, still too snowy to scavenge, we were hopeful as we took the southbound road toward Silver City. We decided to find a route into town through the mountains instead of the long way. As we drove toward the valley mouth ahead, the hills, the dirt, the greenery grew up around us. We rolled up and up and up until we met a dead end in the form of a no-trespassing sign. The sign told us the road was closed until May. It was almost May, my van mates reasoned. 
We undid the chain, passed through, and clicked the steel barrier closed behind us. We rolled higher up the rocky, winding road. We traveled closer to the mountainside. The path kept narrowing. Beside us was a cliff, tumbling down a hundred feet, then more and more as we climbed. We can't keep going this way, I thought. Except we couldn't go backwards, the miles behind us, could we? We couldn't turn around anywhere. There was nowhere to go but forward, up the peak on foot, or down the precipice to death. Mostly down. The dirt path under us would not fit the van long. Once the weight of the Chevy's passengers compounded the precariousness of forward movement, our driver asked us to get out. He felt the van teeter toward the edge, the weight too much. We'd come to a spot too tight for all four wheels to cross. We needed to get out and help it along. Us five passengers crept out the side door and squeezed around in front of the white beast. Brown puppy carried by his human, we slid over a tricky gap by the bumper and proceeded to dig out the mountainside. Our leader got the idea that we'd carve out the mountain with our bare hands, widening the road, giving the van room to pass. The five of us worked at elemental distribution while he drove behind. The process worked for a time, though exhausting. Our driver promised the effort would pass soon. He figured once we got through that tough patch, the other side would be clearer, more open. We dug at the earth's face for an hour, more. Our fingernails crumbled to mud. When the road looked feasible, we fell forward, standing back, making room for the one-ton to drive toward us. It took all my breath watching him face that slight crease of road, terrified for him, for us, for our new home, this van. I held air tight in my lungs. He drove and the Chevy blistered back and forth. Then the boy with the puppy, really not a boy, a veteran just back from Iraq, caught my hands on my face, covering a gasp. Don't do that, he said. Be calm, he meant, or you'll freak out the one you love, and if he freaks and makes a miscalculated move, sending him over the ledge, where will you be? I dropped my hands beside me and tried to look peaceful. For the first time in over a decade, I prayed, asking for this man to cross alive. He continued toward us. At first, it seemed smooth, firm smile on his face. Then, over a testy area, maybe one we'd missed in our digging, we saw his right rear tire buckle down. As his tire fell, and I lost my air, envisioning everything tumbling over, he slammed on the gas, and the force cranked him through to safety. Celebration. Hugs. And then the sobering discovery that this one narrow patch was the beginning of several like it. The terrain grew less drivable every step. We kept digging, working our way, yard by yard for hours. A few of us scouted ahead, chasing optimism, watching the horizon and dreaming of mountains beyond. Dusk came. We got hungry. 
I made selections from the pantry of dried and canned goods in the van and heated up a dinner of chili and vegetables on the Coleman to feed our company. After break time, two of us decided they were sick of the work. This wasn't what they signed up to do. They wanted to go back, hitchhike out, leave the group. A fight emerged. Our leader said, why don't one of you go find help at least? One did. As it got dark, he came back with a guy, one of the three who owned the property. Long and lean in a baseball cap and cowboy boots, he said, it's a good thing it was me you found. The other two would have shot you on sight. We swallowed our hearts and he gave us a hand. What are you doing driving this one ton up an old wagon road? He strapped the Chevy to his come along and that to his pickup. We could hear the words stupid, idiots, assholes on revolve in his head as he towed us miles twisting backward to the border of his mining territory. I kept my breath held and heard our leader wish we'd kept going. We could have made it. We were so close, I heard him think. Back at the no trespassing sign, we gave our sheepish thanks. We retreated to more inviting territory and found a camping spot for the night. Everyone in the back tumbled out as our driver parked. I stayed with him. He found a spot, but then decided his position wasn't right and backed up to adjust. That's when we heard the squeal, an awful yelp, terrorizing cry. We shot forward as everyone scrambled over to see what happened. The pup's leg crushed. He'd ambled out joyful and stumbling after his human and now was howling, broken. We shoved back into the van to the bleeding and misery and shock. We careened at full speed down the highway, slowing down closer to the limit near the interstate, booking it to the emergency clinic in Nampa none of us on our rebel getaway could afford. The two guys sick of our leader left us, hitchhiking away. Our driver claimed they were the bad luck that got us into this mess, and we were supposed to get rid of them. That's why this happened. Now that they were gone, we'd have it better, easier, clearer. Everything had a reason. We got some sleep in the parking lot, the puppy's human nursing him as best he could. After a nap, we fled and kept flying toward eastern Idaho this time, where we found a smaller veterinary clinic who helped us out against good judgment. Though we had nothing to give, I promised we'd send money later. The vet got my number. We never paid. We drove toward Utah and on and on and on. Me, the wild man, veteran kid, runaway teen girl, and the pup who survived a few weeks longer before internal bleeding took his last breaths. With every decision my first day in that van and the next and the next agreeing to each bend in the road, I lost my willpower, my better judgment, my sense of me and right and truth. I brainwashed myself for a year and more of travel, hunger, burnt bridges, and severed connection collecting isolation that's still hard to shake. But for that small moment, 
despite my mom texting hour by hour asking if I'd been kidnapped until I turned off my phone. Everything was about the road, chipping together gas money, pulverizing my bank account, and this radiating idea of love. I felt at home as snow turned to desert, to forest, wetlands, and beaches. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Please join us for next week's episode with writer and poet C.L. Young.